Amen. Thank you, praise team. Thank you for those songs and the beautiful worship that we had this morning. Good to have you in God's house today. We're glad that you're here, glad you're worshiping with us, and I pray that God's Spirit will speak to you as we come to the Word of God today. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1. We've started a series in the book of Mark entitled, Join the Journey, and we're looking at all of the adventures that come through the book of Mark and its action-packed uh, movement through the book, and so I'm praying that God will use it in your life to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, today's message is a date with the devil, a date with the devil. Some of you women are saying, oh, I remember that date, <laughs> but uh, I wasn't really thinking of that kind of date, but you had a date with the devil, and he took you to McDonald's, maybe, <laughs> and just uh, the things that you think about when you think of a date with the devil. I was thinking of this in this passage of Scripture where Jesus had a date with the devil. That's an amazing thing. He had a date with the devil. And it tells me, as I read the Word, that you'll have a date with the devil too. And you'll have seasons in your life where you have to meet with the devil. And I want to prepare you for that. And I want your focus and your heart to be on this as we come to the Word of God today. And I want to think it through. So stand with me now. We're going to read verses 4 through 13. 4 to 13. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the thongs of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Immediately, the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts. And the angels were ministering to him. You may be seated. I want you to imagine today that you live back in the days of John the Baptist and you were in the city of Jerusalem and God was working in your heart in such a way that you wanted to go out and you wanted to see John. That God was starting to draw you to a place of repentance in preparation for the coming of the Messiah into your heart. And so as you go into that Judean wilderness and come there to the Jordan River, that you realize there's thousands and thousands of people there. I mean, John the Baptist has become an instant celebrity. There he is standing among the people baptizing them. And you just want to get a glimpse of John. You want to get a look at him. And what is this man like? Because he's in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And he dresses kind of weird too. He's got this uh, leather skirt on, and he's got this camel-haired kind of shirt tunic on. And you're looking at that wondering, why would a guy dress like that? And he's eating locusts and wild honey. That's, that's his whole diet. That's everything that he does with his life. This is an amazing thing. You, you just reflect on that for a minute. Why would a guy spend his life looking like that and eating that? Because the scriptures is trying to tell you, and Mark's trying to tell you in a real quick, fast way, he's trying to say that 
his, his clothing and his diet matched his message. That's not a really great meal, is it? Have you ever had locusts? I had locusts in the Middle East one time because they were dipped in chocolate, so it wasn't so bad. Uh, I enjoyed that. They taste kind of like grasshopper. If you've ever, well, you've not probably had grasshopper. Chunky chicken, that's what it's like, chunky chicken. All right, so locusts aren't really that bad, but I wouldn't want to live on a steady diet of that without chocolate, by the way. But I wouldn't want to uh, eat locusts all the time. What is the Bible telling us? The Bible's telling us he didn't live an extravagant life. He didn't have a whole lot of clothes to wear. He had one set. And he just ate simple. He lived off the desert. Just as Israel was fed in the desert, he lived off the desert. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Um, have you ever thought about that in your life? Do your clothes and your diet match your message? Would your clothes say you're extravagant? What do your clothes communicate to other people? See, he, he wanted to make sure his message and his diet and his appearance and what he ate, all those things matched. Because he didn't live. He lived a life of self-denial. He didn't, he didn't really live an extravagant life, but he lived a life of sacrifice and denial, lived in the desert. So this guy was serious. If you're looking at this guy, you're thinking, wow, this guy's really serious about his life. And not only that, you've got, you've got this instant celebrity, and all the cameras are kind of in his face, all the mics up to his voice. What's he going to say next? And, and, and John's just like, wait, wait a minute. You, you don't understand. Don't, don't try to be impressed by me. Don't be impressed by what I'm doing. I mean... There's one who's coming after me that's mightier than I, and I'm not even worthy to loose, uh, loose the sandals of his feet. I'm not even worthy to, to tie them either. Well, what's he saying there? He's saying that when I, look at, when I look at my life and I compare it to Jesus, he's going back to a Roman Gentile background there because he's talking to a Roman Gentile audience, and he's saying to them when the, when the wealthy slave owner would come home, he'd sit down at the door uh, outside of the door of his house, and he'd never go into his house till he sat down and a slave came. And his feet would be all dirty, and they'd have dirt all over, over his legs, and they would remove his sandals. They would untie them. They would take them off as a slave, and then they would wash his feet, and they'd put on house sandals on the owner of the house. And then he'd go into the house. John says, I don't even live up to that. I'm not even that worthy to do that. I'm not even worthy to be a slave to a homeowner. I'm not even worthy to do that. I'm, I'm so beneath the level of the one who's coming after me, and you got your focus on me, but let me tell you something. Don't get excited about me. Get excited about the one who is coming after me because he's the one that's going to give you a new heart. He's the one that's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I can't do that. I'm going to baptize you with water. I'm just going to get you ready for him. I'm going to get you ready for the cleansing. But the truth of the matter is, dear people, you're not ready. You need to take a bath. You need to get the cleansing of sin before you even meet and come into a personal relationship with Christ. And so John was all about that. And so there he is in the wilderness, the one goal in his life, 
And he looks over and he sees Jesus coming to him. And he says, Agnes Day, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And at that moment in time, John fulfilled the entire reason he was on this earth. Because he was pointing people to Jesus and he was pointing them to get baptized so they were ready to meet him. And there he is. And John says, there he is. There he is. And from that moment on, John goes from this increasing rock star down to nothing. Because he knew he had to decrease, but Jesus had to increase in his life. And you just kind of see John fade off the scene just like that. Because he fulfilled his mission to point everyone to Jesus. And so you think about that, and, and you come to this place in time, and Jesus looks at John the Baptist, and he says to him, now baptize me. Baptize me. And so he baptizes him into the water, as the Bible says. And the Bible says, look at this now in verse 10. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Now, I want you to focus here because this baptism of Jesus is what is called a Trinitarian event. It's one of the few times in Scripture where all three persons of the Trinity are together at one time and all manifesting themselves. Because if you look through the Gospels, Jesus or God the Father only speaks three times. This is one of them. So it's a pretty important event, and I want you to understand what it's going to mean for your life here today. The Father is there, the first person of the Trinity. He sends Jesus into the world, and then he sends him into the water. Now, the second person of the Trinity is the one who's going to be baptized in the water. That's Jesus himself in order to begin his ministry. And so he goes down into the water and comes up out of the water. He was baptized. That's what it means to immerse. He saw the heavens opened... And then the Bible says the spirit, like a gentle dove, just kind of fluttered down and landed on his shoulder. That's the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit came upon him. Now, now what, did, what did he do? What did the Holy Spirit really try to do there? Uh, what the Holy Spirit was doing there is he was anointing Jesus. Now, you hear that word anoint, and all you need to think of with that term anointing is to empower. That's what it means to anoint. It's a God power put on you. In other words, the Holy Spirit was given as a gift to Jesus. Now, why would he need the Holy Spirit? Because if you'll remember, when he came to this earth in Philippians 2, the Bible said he laid aside all the powers of his deity. He's still, the, he's still fully God and he's still fully man, but as the full God-man, he has laid aside all of his attributes to be able to do any miracles. So now the Holy Spirit is given as a gift to him at the baptism so that he can go about doing what he needs to do empowered by the Spirit of God, totally dependent on God for every miracle he ever did at that point on in his earthly body. That's so important you understand that because there's so much heresy today. You know, when Jesus was a kid, did he actually take some clay, form it into a pigeon, throw it in the air, and it turned into a pigeon? Absolutely not. He never did one miracle before the Holy Spirit was given to him as a gift. He didn't heal little kids. He didn't heal any diseases. He didn't do any of that because he laid aside all of his deity powers, gave them to God the Father, and wasn't given them back until a gift of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, was given to him in such a way that he now could go about and do those miracles. 
So you need to understand your theology behind that so you get this. So in his human nature, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will be able to fulfill his mission. That's why this is so central. Now the Father speaks audibly at this point. One or three times in the Bible. A voice came from heaven and said to Jesus, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Let me translate it for you. With you, I'm very pleased. I'm perfectly pleased with you. I'm perfectly pleased with you. Now, here's what I want you to hold on to for this whole message, okay? That is critical to understanding this whole chapter in Mark, Mark chapter 1 specifically. It is critical to understand that phrase because he will have to lock that phrase in, and I want you to lock that phrase in, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased because of what follows immediate. Watch this now. No sooner does this incredible event happen, but look at verse 12. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. All right, let's just think about this for a minute, okay? Because I'm going to dive into this, and I want you to capture this thought today, okay? Here's my sermon outline, and I, this is what I, that's kind of a chilling thought, to be impelled by the Holy Spirit. This is where it attracted my attention, so I built a whole sermon around that. All right, there are three unexpected ways the Holy Spirit will lead you when you're in His perfect will. There are three unexpected ways the Holy Spirit will lead you when you are in His perfect will. These all surprised me as I thought about them and reflected and meditated today. Here we go. Number one, the Holy Spirit will unexpectedly, unexpectedly lead you to suffer. You've got to get this clear in your own thinking about your relationship with God. Don't blame everything on the devil and what the devil does because ultimately it was the Holy Spirit that drove him. You see that word impel? It means to drive, to impel. Let me give you that word so you understand it. It's, it's a great word, but it's a scary word. To push, to shove, to use a whip like you would use on an animal that is uh, belligerent. And it struck me. What a strong word. It's like, it's like the Holy Spirit took a whip to drive him to a foreboding place and said, you're going to the desert. My, my first thought was, what about that sweet little gentle dove that came and landed on his shoulder? That was my first thought. How about that sweet little spirit that you love that speaks inside of you and whispers to you, you're going to be okay. How about that sweet little Holy Spirit that comes along and says, you're loved. You're loved. Where is that now? Because the same spirit that blessed you is the same spirit that pushed you. You've got to understand that about the Holy Spirit. You've got to understand your relationship with God or you will mess up your old thinking and it will get you and bring you to a fall. I promise you that. Because it was the spirit of God that pushed him into the desert. That's the word. Shoved him. He didn't want to go. 40 days with the, de with the desert and 40 days with the wild beasts and 40 days with Satan. He just had to shove him into the wilderness. I, I find that an amazing thing in the, in the Scriptures. That's what God will do to you. 
much as you hate that, he will push you. He will shove you to foreboding places. Why? Because once Jesus was baptized and inaugurated into ministry, before he could ever go forward in his public ministry, which is verse 14, before he could ever go forward in his public ministry, he had to be tested. He had to be tested. This is always God's plan. His testing must be done in the crucible of pain. It must be done in the crucible of pain. There must be a suffering. Uh, let me say it this way. There must be a denial. He had to take himself away from food for 40 days. He had to deny himself that. God the Father came up with this idea. I don't want you eating for 40 days. Have you ever not eaten for 40 days? I mean, he is literally being put to a place of incredible temptation and incredible pain. Now, you have to understand the whole word of God as I dive into this today. If you, look at, if you look at the firstborn son, Israel, called firstborn, I told you that, he, they are tested for 40 years in the wilderness. Everybody gets tested. Everybody gets tested. Jesus, the second firstborn son, is tested for 40 days in the wilderness too, just like Israel was. But he is tested with Satan. Let's go a little further with that. Just as the first Adam in the garden was tested and exposed to the assault of Satan, so Jesus, the second Adam, is exposed to the assault of Satan. See, he's got to go through what Adam did. He's got to go through what Israel did. And so he takes on the assault of Satan just like Adam did. Just compare those for a moment. Just a moment. Adam and Eve tested in paradise. Now, if there's anywhere in the world I'd want to be tested, I would want to be tested in paradise. They are in paradise in a lush garden. Every imaginable food, every imaginable food is available to them. Their bellies are full, okay? They're in an intimate relationship with God and with each other. They got each other through this trial a real touchable person in their trial. They've got a mate, Adam and Eve, together. Right? There's no sin. There's no breakdown of relationship. There's perfect relating with each other. There's no walls. There's no, there's no guilt. There's no shame. It's just perfect. Second Adam, Jesus Christ. He goes into what is not paradise. He goes into paradise lost. He goes into the wilderness and he's denied food for 40 days. And he's going to be proven by Satan. He's in a desolate place. He's alone. No human companion. No mate. Nobody to stick it out with as you go through this. He is all alone. He's lonely. He's weak from the food he's not eaten. Then the prince of hell comes. It's amazing, isn't it? Just compare the two. Adam and Eve had a complete failure. Jesus is a complete victory, and he's worthy. Don't you tell me your environment is what causes you to sin. It's not your environment. It's down in here. There's something in your flesh that wants to sin. And I don't care what your environment is. I don't care if it's paradise or paradise lost. 
Jesus is the only one I know that's ever gone through anything and been worthy of perfectness, of perfect righteousness. It's, not, it's unbelievable to think about just in terms of this passage. So that, I just wanted to set that with you as you think about it. But I want you to see the bigger picture is the Spirit will lead you to suffer. He will lead you to suffer. Why? Because you've got to learn denial. You've got to learn to deny some things in your life. Do, do, you, do you ever deny yourself certain things? Do you ever deny yourself food? Do you ever fast? Do you ever really get your body to obey you and not your bo- you to obey your body? See, there was denial going on here in this wilderness temptation. How do you deny some things? Maybe you had a mama to let you do what you wanted. Let me say something, okay? About that, I got to thinking about that. You're not dealing with your mama here. You're dealing with the Holy Spirit. God's not your mama. And he's going to put you through some tough stuff. And nobody else could put you through anything tougher than God. Why? Denial produces discipline. That's why. It's the only way you're going to learn it. You think you're going to be a disciplined person without denial? Have you ever denied your tongue when you just want to let somebody have it? And you literally denied yourself the pleasure of just letting it fall off your tongue. Have you ever denied your mouth from eating food? Have you ever denied your eyes from being able to see what you wanted to see? Have you ever denied your eyes? See, what I'm saying is denial produces discipline in your life. God is literally disciplining you. And he's going to lead you sometimes to suffer. You're going to hate it. You're going to wonder. You're going to question it. And you're going to see that ultimately God has a perfect plan for your life, even though it's harsh, it's difficult, it's lonely. But discipline is going to come. All right, that's number one. He will lead you to suffer. I just wanted you to see that because that was unexpected to me as I studied this. Number two, the Holy Spirit will unexpectedly lead you to a place where God is silent. That's the second thing I noticed about this text, that God will unexpectedly lead you to a place where he is silent. Where's God? Where's God in this 40 days of temptation? Where is the Father? I mean, when you're really hungry, when you're really lonely, when you're really scared, where is God? Oh, I know God is here, preacher, when you're up there in the pulpit and preaching and everybody's here. I know God's there, but where is he at 3 a.m. in the morning? Where does God go when you're in your desert? You drove me out here, God, and now you're not talking to me? You gave me this marriage, and now you're not going to talk to me? You gave me this ministry, and now you're not talking to me? Where where is that gentle Holy Spirit to come down and just sit on my shoulder and tell me everything's going to be okay? Where is he? But now you shoved me into the wilderness. You have shoved me into the wilderness. Where are you? It's amazing to me. What do you do when God says nothing at all? 
And the only one talking is Satan. What do you do when Satan is the only one talking? That's a great question because that's exactly where you're going to be in your test. The one that's going to hear the loudest will be Satan. You'll hear his voice, you'll hear him talking to you, you'll hear him tell you all kinds of things because he's doing all the talking. Now, what's the answer to that question that why does God say nothing when the devil's doing all the talking? The answer is God's not supposed to say anything to you at that time. God's not supposed to say anything to you at that time. This is a season of testing in your life, and when he tests you, he's silent. He's silent. As hard as that is to hear, that is the truth of God's word. So when Satan comes, he comes with these kind of questions. He puts these little questions and doubts in your mind. (laughs) Adam, hath God said... Yes, God said we can't even eat it. If we eat it, we'll die. Oh, 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 that's a lie. God knows the day you eat thereof, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll get to live life the way you want to live it if you just eat. Can't you just see that? Can't you just feel that inside yourself when you struggle with your temptations? Because really what it comes down to is are you going to believe God in his word or are you going to believe Satan in his word? two words. It's Satan's word and it's God's word. That's what all of life comes down to. Who are you going to believe? So Satan comes to Jesus with questions. Actually, they're written in question form. They, they don't translate it in the English that way. But basically, he's coming to Jesus in the same way he came to Adam. And he comes to him and says, I suppose you are the son of God. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. In other words, what he was saying is, this is no place for the son of God. In the desert, no food. Good grief, you're the son of God. How could God let you suffer? How could God let you be humiliated? Have you ever been humiliated? How could God let you go through deprivation? How could God let you go through hunger and such loneliness? Why would God let you be lonely? Can't you hear all these things when Satan talks to you? He's so good. He's so good. You're the son of God. You should be in a palace. You look pathetic, Jesus. Look at you. You're pathetic. So if you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Now, now here's where you've got to tie it all together, okay? What were the last words of the Father, according to the Scripture, that rang in Jesus' ear before he was driven to the wilderness? God's silent when he's driven to the wilderness, but his last words are, you are my beloved son, and you... I am perfectly pleased. I am perfectly pleased. The audible words from the voice of God that thundered for heaven, you are my precious love, son. I am perfectly pleased with you. He had to remember that. 
He had to know that. Now, now I want to I simplify this as I simplify it in my life, okay? All I've ever needed to know in every temptation I've ever been in, all I've ever needed to know was God was for me. That's the one thing I had to remember and I had to tell myself it over and over and over again. You're for me because it sure don't look like it. But that's all I've ever needed to know. God is for me. I mean, there's a whole book here, but if you'll just remember that one thing in your temptation, God is for me. Now, that sticks with my heart. Jesus needed to remember that because God the Father is silent now. And so, Satan says, look at the dump you're in. Look at the way your life is going. Man, that stinks. That's a dump. I mean, look at you. Look at you, Jesus. He put you here. Come on, man. Turn the stones to bread. Come on, man. Get out of your pain. What would it take to get a little relief? Is that so wrong, Jesus, to get a little relief from your pain? And what does Jesus do? He rebukes him with the word. It's too late to learn the word, because if you didn't know the word by now, you're going down. It's too late now. You didn't learn the word, but Jesus knew the word. You got to know the word before you ever get there, because God's going to be silent, and you're not going to have the word with you. You can't pull out your little Bible in the middle of the temptation and say, now what verse do I need for this? It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. In other words, he had to know already what he was going to say, and so basically, I'm going to summarize, I'm sorry, Satan. You don't understand the Word of God. The Bible says, he sounds like some kind of fundamental Baptist preacher. The Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Satan, I know there's nothing wrong with having breakfast when you're hungry. I get that. But right now, I'm committed to this fast. And Jesus hasn't told me I could break this fast yet, so I'm hanging on. I'm going to hang on. I'm not going to eat. And until he tells me I can eat, I'm not going any further. But I know this, that even though he's not breaking the fast on me and I'm going to obey this fast, I know he's there. I know he's for me. I know he loves me. And right now, that's enough for me. That word is enough for me over the food. Now, let me tell you, this is a principle, okay? Point one principle, all right? Here it is. God wouldn't drive you into it if he wasn't going to take you out of it. God wouldn't drive you into it unless he was going to take you out of it. That's principle. Good thing to learn. Number two, let's go on. The Holy Spirit will unexpectedly lead you to a place where... I did that one, didn't I? Let's go on. Let's continue. I don't want to give that one again. All right, let me come back to where my thought was. I got off track there. Okay, so what does Satan do? He says, okay, turn the stones to bread. Now what does Satan do? He looks and says, okay, all right, forget that one. Jump off the temple. Jump off the temple. You know, Jesus, the Bible says that the angels 
the angels will have charge over thee, and if you just dash your foot against a rock, they'll prevent it. Come on, Jesus, that's the Bible. Isn't it amazing how Satan can use the Bible against you? You're right, Satan, the Bible does say that. But the Bible also says you shall not test the Lord your God. You shall not put him to a test. What's he mean by that? I don't need to jump off a temple to know God's going to take care of me. In other words, I don't have to prove God that he cares about me by testing him to do something, saying, God, if you really love me, then you'll do this. I don't need to do that with God. That's what Jesus was saying. I'm going to trust him. I'm not going to push him to be tested against me and saying, God, you don't really love me unless you do this. But I'm just going to believe that he does love me. And I'm going to accept everything he does in my life. Knowing I'm so loved. I'm so loved. I'm going to do it on that alone. He doesn't have to prove himself to me. Oh, Jesus, what a wasted life you live. Look at you. All alone there. Why, if you were taken off the earth, nothing would change. Can't you just feel that? In that temptation? All you have to do is right now is bow down to me. Just bow down to me. Just do it in private. No one will see it. We'll do anonymous. No one will know you did it. Just bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms. Man, Satan, that's a great offer. But I can't do it. <laughs> the Bible says I should have no other gods before me. And if I bow down to you, that's idolatry. And I'd lose my father's house. I don't want to lose my father's house. I mean, I mean, Satan, what should it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? I mean, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Yeah, I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm humiliated. Yeah, I'm lonely. But none of those earthly things are worth my soul. None of them. The truth of the matter is, we have no idea the stress that Jesus was under, the duress, the structure of everything that he was going under. And even though God was silent to him, he remained faithful. He was worthy. He's worthy. It's not just enough that Jesus dies for your sin. You've got to get this. He had to live a perfect life. See, he had to live a perfect life up to the place where he becomes and dies for our sin. But if he didn't live a perfect life, then just dying for your sin would have never cut it. It would have forgiven you, but his righteousness couldn't be put on you because he wasn't perfect. So he had to live a perfect life. Thank God he did in the garden. Okay, number three, and I'm going to close. All right, the Holy Spirit will unexpectedly lead you not just to take something from you, but to always give something back. All right, I didn't know what to do with this verse, but I'm going to close out with it. Look at this at the end of verse 13. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. 
So here we see Jesus against the rope. And now watch this now. He's out of gas. He's empty. He's got nothing left to give. He is absolutely exhausted. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. He's under the duress of Satan. So let me just, let me just take a moment here. I didn't know if I should go this way at the end of this sermon, but I'm going to go this way. Let me relate that to you. Can I say this quite honestly? I, I believe this. Some of you don't recognize the extent to which you've been under attack. I've watched this as a pastor. I want you to take a minute and I want you to hit your phone right now. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Don't worry about it, Rob. It's all right. Okay. I want you to take a minute. I want, to look, I want you to look back over what happened in your life. I've learned this from a lot of you. You've been in a wilderness. Trauma after trauma after trauma. And it's almost become like what we call habitual trauma. And when you go through habitual trauma long enough, you normalize the trauma, and then you begin to tell yourself it's okay. It's okay, but because this is, this is all I know. This is my life. And the habitual trauma becomes normalized in your life. And the truth of the matter is, some of you have been through some tough stuff with little encouragement. You took few breaks, little time away. You didn't take the time to recuperate. I know this for a fact. Some of you still haven't gotten over a death you've had occur in your life. Some of you still haven't gotten over a divorce. Some of you haven't gotten over a sickness. And the truth is, I know this for a fact, some of you haven't gotten over some traumas in your life. And you keep standing up to stuff, after stuff, after stuff, after stuff. The truth is, now you're empty and out of gas. Here's the sad part for some of you. Some of you can't even recognize it. You're so tired. But it's because you're spending so much time trying to be other people's hero. And you're exhausted. You're trying to be perfect. You smile, you're running out of smiles. You're running out of courage. You're running out of strength. And you, you're starting to act like a machine. I can do it. I can handle it. I'm a machine. Punched, kicked, stabbed. Doesn't matter, you just keep coming back. Road over, lost loved ones, afflicted, crisis. Everything starts pulling at you. And here's what God told me. I don't know if I should do this or not. This is what God told me I'm going to say today. And as I thought about it, I just want you to know, this is what I believe. I think God wanted me to tell you, that season is over. That season is over. You say, what do you mean that season is over? Take your boots off. Take your cape off. Take your mask off. Take all your Superman stuff off. And just get real honest with yourself. The test after test after test after test that you've been through, you need to understand, Jesus went through one 40-day test and he was empty at the end of it. 
empty. So I just want to tell you, okay? The angels are coming. The angels are coming. What are they going to do? They're going to minister to you. They're going to strengthen you. They're going to put back into you. Hear me now, okay? God never takes anything out of you that he doesn't put something back into you. God never takes anything out of you that he doesn't put something back into you. The angels ministered to him. He needed that. He was exhausted. He was tired. The angels are coming. It was a test. The test is over. Let me go, let me go a little further with that. Do you know someone who wants to quit? Do you know someone who wants to die? Do you know someone who wants to faint? Here's what I want to tell you to do. You go to them and you tell them, wait, wait, wait. The angels are coming. They're going to minister to you. They're going to strengthen you. They're going to put back into you. The, the way... David said, is they're going to restore your soul. They're going to restore your soul. God says, I'm going to put back into you. You hear that? Do you hear that going to your spirit? Is it speaking to your spirit? You're worn. You're tired. I'm, I'm going to put back into you. I'm going, to, I'm going to fill you up in places where you've been worn out. That's That's beautiful. And that's all I got to say. Let's pray. Just, just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if, if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, do not trust in your own good works, your own righteousness. It will fail you. You know you have sinned and your sin deserves judgment. And I know that as, as a fact for myself, but Jesus Christ went to a cross. He shed his blood. He died for you. But the truth is, he lived a perfect life for you. And so not only do you have your sins forgiven, but now the perfect life that he lived is put into your account. But it starts with an admission. <laughs> I need you, Jesus. Save me. Save me from my sin. Man, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of my tongue. I'm sick of where my eyes want to go. I'm sick of my thoughts. I'm just sick of it. I need your healing, Jesus. And if you've never come to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to take just a moment right now. Would you lift up your hand and say, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. Just lift up your hand if you're in here and that's you. And you say, I'm not saved. I need Jesus Christ. Is there anyone in this room? I, I can't see real well to the back, but if you're there, just lift up that hand high so I can see it because I'm not going to waste any time here if the Spirit of God's not speaking to you. Okay, I, I can't tell for sure, but I'm just going to say, if that's you, seek me out. 
seek someone out today. Don't let this day go by. Don't harden your heart, but you need Jesus. You need Jesus. I want to talk, I want to, talk to you who know Jesus in a personal way. Maybe you're here today and you need healing. You need healing. Maybe, maybe it's the body. Maybe it's the soul. I don't care if it's the body or the soul. Truth is, you're tired. You're worn. And I think if the one thing the Lord wanted me to do today is to tell you the test, the test is over. You're empty. And the angels are coming. The angels are coming. So if that's you, I want you to come this morning. And I want you to put your life at this altar and just say, God, that's me. I'm tired. I'm worn. I need healing. I need it in my soul. I need, I need it in my body, whatever it may be. I, I just want to, that's, that's my heart. Okay, maybe you're here. Do you have a friend or a companion that needs healing in the body or soul? Can you come for them today and just say, I'm going to come for them. They need healing in their soul. They're worn. They're empty. They need the angels to come and minister to them. So those are my two calls today at this altar. And if that fits either one of you, would you come this morning as we sing? Father God, I lay before you this message as you spoke into my heart. I'm so grateful for the times, the times that I'll still need to be ministered to and strengthened and filled. I put something back in me. Lord, I lift it up for these people as well. I pray you'd put something back in them. And so, God, I ask that today, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing this song with the praise team. You enter in. If there's a need in your life, that speaks to your heart as I spoke to you today. Come. I want you to put that at this altar this morning. You come as we sing.